0: You have your Bibles open in them uh, to Ecclesiastes 10. And, and the, way, the reason I say that is because all of the decisions we're making right now feel like are just these we're looking for these moral imperatives. We want to just go, all right, where's the thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that from God's Word? Because everything feels so intense, right? But again, you feel like there's these competing truths. Even for families, I, I cannot imagine what it feels like for you headed into another fall We're like, okay, do we go to this school? Do we go to that school? Do we keep them home? Well, one of my children did really well in this setting, and another one didn't. And and it just feels like paralysis where we're going, I need a billboard, right? I need something to put before me to make it clear exactly what I should do. And that struggle, friends, uh, lands us in a place that the Bible would call wisdom. Wisdom so that's actually what we're going to be talking about today in this picture of wisdom. And let me remind us of where we were last week, especially for those who are not here. As we've walked through this book, the preacher, Kaheleth, has been um, reminding us over and over and over again that there is no way we're going to find all of life's answers and all of life's meaning on this side of eternity. Last week we talked about the three hammers that God uses to loosen our grips on thinking that that is actually a possibility. We talked about things like death. And chance and fickle people. In fact, one of the aspects that we talked about was uh, with regards to fickle people, we talked about this poor man in a teeny city who was being attacked by a larger, stronger army, and he delivered the wisdom that would deliver the town. And guess what happened? Right? You would think they would throw this man a parade. They ended up forgetting about him. And actually, it said not liking him very much, right? And so people are fickle, but there was actually an assessment that the preacher made about his wisdom that really begins this next chapter that we're going to be reading today, and it's this in Ecclesiastes 9, the last two verses, it says, The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And so just because people are fickle, just because people don't always listen to wisdom, it actually doesn't mean wisdom is a bad thing. In fact, what we're going to see today is the preacher pushing us to live wisely. One of the things we talked about last week is, hey, okay, these three hammers pushed us to go, okay, what does it mean to live well now, right, in the here and now? And part of it was enjoying God's gifts as gifts, not God's, right? Right? But if we just stopped it, hey, it's just all about us enjoying stuff, that would be rather narcissistic, wouldn't it? (laughs) That's not great, because that becomes all about us. And I think that's why the preacher pushes us to this next chapter to say, and there is kind of a neighbor love aspect of living life that is also important in the here and now, and that is to live wisely. And so that's where we're headed. Let me pray for us as we jump into our text here this morning. Lord, give us your wisdom. (laughs) Lord, give me your wisdom. I pray for your Spirit's wisdom upon me right now. That Lord, uh, anything that I say, I, I pray that it would avoid any offense apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. And Father, admittedly, as I struggled through this week, as I've struggled through the last three days, that's become my chief prayer is, God, I desperately need your wisdom, and so does every person in this room. So Father, would you just meet us? here for these next 20 minutes or so with your eternal wisdom. Help us to trust you, to sit under your word, and to respond this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so we need to start, before we dive into chapter 10, we need to put a primer on wisdom. You know what a primer is? It's, you know, you put up a new piece of drywall, and before you start painting it, you've got to put some primer on it, right, for the the paint to actually take. And so, We don't often, or I don't often, preach through wisdom, so we need to define our terms just a little bit and understand the context in which we're coming out of. So the first thing is just a tagline I will say somewhat often to remind us of, is that what is true always comes before what to do. What is true always comes before what to do. And I say that because any time we get into a highly practical um, section of Scripture, we can fall into this lie of thinking, okay, if I don't do this, God won't love me. He won't accept me. I've got to be perfect and perfectly wise and we'll just feel the anvil hit us. And even this, in this book, in Ecclesiastes and even other wisdom literature and Proverbs, it was in the Old Testament given into the context of people who are already God's people. And so God is saying, what is true of you are, you are my people. What he would say to the New Testament church is, hey, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are mine, you are my son and my daughter, and your standing is not impacted by how wisely or foolish you live. However, what to do is also important. We're not just let off the hook and say, okay, now go live however you want. But God is saying, my desire for you, and we'll talk about why this is valuable, is to live wisely. But don't confuse that order. It's not what we do equals what is true of us. It is what is true of us leads to how we live. So here's a, a kind of a working definition of what wisdom is. And one of my professors, Jack Collins, I loved it when he said this. He probably borrowed it from somebody else. But, but wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. It is skill in the art of godly living. And I love that because godly living... Right, God's Word shows us, right, God's moral law, His heart. There are many commands there. But, but if you've lived and followed Jesus for more than 10 minutes, you recognize that sometimes it's hard to connect godly living and what we can clearly see in Scripture with the, with the reality facing us right now. If there's ever been a time where I've experienced this more, it's been the last two years. Here's what your Word says. How do we then live? And so that's the skill and the art part, Right? Tim Keller in his book, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life, Tim and Kathy Keller wrote this together. He's talking about the Proverbs, but he says this, The point of these sorts of wisdom, or or Proverbs of wisdom, is to get rightly related to reality. He says we do it through hard thinking and sustained reflection. And I love the picture he gives. He says it's like a piece of hard candy. If you just bite down on it, you don't get much pleasure out of it, right? Or you might just break a tooth. Instead, we meditate on it and the sweetness and the insight eventually comes. But it's work, right? But he goes on to say it's not just thinking and meditating, but it's, but it's how we actually get through daily life. Okay, we've thought and meditated and then here's the situation. How do we then apply it? It's discerning how to make the right choice, even where there is no moral law telling us exactly what we are to do in the moment. And so as we struggle through wisdom... There's a couple things we need to understand for this primer. First, it's the source of wisdom. The source of wisdom. We're going to jump pretty quickly through these things, but let's first talk about the source of wisdom. Proverbs, and this is going to be our companion passage for this first point, says, The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And so, what the author of Proverbs and what I think Aheleth would tell us here is that wisdom comes from the fountainhead of God himself. Which, if we've been here through the book of Ecclesiastes, should not surprise us. Because the book of Ecclesiastes has said, there is a creator, big C, a line, and a creation, little c. And we cannot jump that line. Even though that's the nature of Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve, is it's us trying to de-God God, it's us trying to act like God. But, but he very stubbornly and rightly says, you can't cross that line. But it makes sense. That the creator himself who created all things actually is the fountainhead of wisdom to say, but, but I can help you navigate the world that has its stubborn shape in which you face every single day. We see this in the New Testament in James 1 5. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. So it's saying, Hey, God is the source of wisdom. Ask him. Come to him again, I think Tommy said this, but, but have you ever stopped to think of wisdom as a grace of God? Have you stopped to think about that? Look at it. God gives. It's a gift. He gives generously, right? He is not stingy with wisdom. He's not saying, oh, I'm going to give him a little bit so he comes back tomorrow, right? Just so they get real frustrated, right? No, he's lavishing us with wisdom. If we come to him and ask, like a, like a parent would lavish upon their child, It says he gives to all. That means he doesn't discriminate. Every single one of us discriminates. We do. Whether we like to admit that or not, we do. But in God, there is none. He gives generously to all. And it says without reproach. And what that means is no matter how thick-headed we are and how foolish we've been, he's not holding it against us every time we ask. He's saying, I'm still here. I still want you to ask. And I still want to give it to you freely. Now we also need to talk about this is, you know, we might go, okay, I'm going to pray and ask God and, and I'm going to get all this wisdom and we'll be good and we'll, we'll keep moving forward. And part of that is true. He wants us to come and prayer is a big part of seeking wisdom. But he also gives us wisdom in his written word. This is Paul to Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, you remember since childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, with scripture. And he says, listen to what these scriptures are able to do. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then this is what he says about that Scripture. All Scripture, and I'll share this probably on another day, but he's talking about Old and New Testament, is breathed out by God, meaning the Creator Himself actually inspired this and gave it to us, the source of all wisdom. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, which is a form of correction when there's a wrong, for Uh, Correction, kind of more uh, different than reproof. It's kind of like trying to correct Ben Simmons' free throw, right? It's like, okay, get your elbow under it, a little bit more arc on that free throw, right? For training and righteousness that the man and and woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. He's given us His wisdom. And then we see the value of wisdom. And this is where I'm going to be really brief. But, but friends, I just want us to walk away from here saying, wisdom is valuable. And I say that because I do not believe our culture holds before us that wisdom is valuable. We have a ready-fire-aim sort of culture. It just as if you've got a gas bubble, put it on social media. God's Word actually calls us to something different. And here's some of the value. First, Proverbs 2. As we apply wisdom, we will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. As we labor after wisdom, it makes sense that, kind of like salmon swimming back upstream, it takes us to the, to, the, to the fountainhead there, right, of God and the source of all wisdom. So there is a knowledge of God that comes as we labor to pursue wisdom. But then we also see this in Proverbs 2. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Friends, here's the second value. It protects us. It protects us. God says, here is my wisdom. If you live this way, things will probably go better. Now, that's prescriptive. It's not necessarily predictive of every single circumstance. But generally, God has given us his wisdom to protect us. And then third, we see this. As we pursue wisdom, we will actually understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. And I would just say this. The reason I put this in here is, is there a greater topic today that we're having than that of justice? And so why are we not laboring after wisdom? If that's what's truly going to unpack what true justice and equity is, as we labor with the Lord and His wisdom, why don't we pursue it more? All right, so there's the primer. and We're going to briefly spend some time in this next section and it's going to feel a lot different than one of my normal sermons so let me just warn you because it's not a narrative it's not necessarily going to be linear it's going to feel very much proverbial right where you kind of did you watch the olympic like mountain climbing rock climbing did you see that what a crazy little event right you know for the top roping they'll kind of scamper up the wall and race and then they'll kind of drop back down and you know and they'll go up again it's kind of got how today's going to feel we're going to kind of climb this wall of wisdom and we're going to drop back down. We're going to go over to this set of rocks and go and climb that one. And, and, and that's just how it's going to feel. So in a way, that's kind of merciful. I mean, I'm exhausted after the last like five sermons. These are like heavy topics. Today's is kind of, it's like a salad, right? It, it just, it, it's, it's a lot better. So let me, let me just orient you as to what we're getting ready to go into. And Derek Kidner offers some great words. He says, this chapter takes a calm, and I would say mercifully calm, look at life, sampling it at random so as to help us keep our own standard high without being too surprised at the oddity of others or taken off guard in our dealings with the powerful. And so let's just take a calm look at life. Amen. Amen. Calm look at life. All right, here we go. So let's talk about first this picture of the danger of foolishness. That's the first rock we're going to climb here this morning. Verses 1 to 3, follow along with me. The preacher writes, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment, gives off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. All right, so what are we talking about here? Well, the first thing, if you're going to give it a title, is... The preacher's warning us of the danger of foolishness. All right, if you noticed, the word folly or fool is said three times in the first three verses. Now, if you look, especially in the Proverbs, the fool is the person who is set up opposite of the wise. It's a great study if you have opportunity to to read through uh, that section, but but it's the opposite of the wise. And the fool is usually pictured as a settled, settled, stubborn outlook. They're unteachable. And Kidner would say that Fools are dangerous, they're grievous, but they're actually not beyond invitation. Keller, again, in his book says, fools are people who are so habitually out of touch with reality that they make life miserable for themselves and for other people around them. They fail to realize that if if we treat our body any way we want, that, that, that there will be consequences. If we can't treat people... Or if we if we if we treat people any way we want, we'll probably have broken relationships and broken families. If we act selfishly, then we will probably have a broken society. Friends, fools do not see boundaries embedded in reality physical, relational, spiritual. And when they step outside of those bounds, they wonder why am I sinking? Why is the world falling apart around me? The reason Kidner would say it's dangerous is what we see in verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. You ever heard the term, there's a fly in the ointment? (laughs) Right? So a perfumer can work for days and weeks and months to, to have this great fragrance. And then one little fly with a little bit of bacteria on it gets in it. And guess what happens to it? It stinks. Have you all seen that one advertisement during the Olympics where uh, the person is setting up all the dominoes? It's a quick, it's a quick blurb. It's one of my favorites. It's traumatic, really, if you were this person, but you can just tell. He's video recording himself. It's going to be this great YouTube hit because he set up dominoes and it'll fall. And you can tell he's still setting it up and something must have happened. Somebody bumped the table or he accidentally hit one of the dominoes and you just see him going, no, 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 like running around the table being like, Stop and this is the picture I think he's talking about with the fly and the ointment, is it takes less time to ruin a thing than it does to create it. It takes less time to ruin something than it does to create it. And I think the domino guy will probably confirm that, right? And so wisdom is being aware of our impulses. Knowing that that first thought may not always be the best. We might need to sit on that post or that email. We may want to bite our tongue in that moment. Now, the second verse where it's talking about the fool, it says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but the fool's heart to the left. I just got to say this. We live in a politically charged world. This is not a political statement. <laughs> Conservatives are like, Yes, we made the Bible, right? That's not <laughs> at all what this is talking about. Okay? In fact, the right hand in Scripture is often associated with strength and blessing. That's why Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And verse 3 simply says, people's foolishness over time will become more obvious. So here's the question to ask us. Are we paying attention to our impulses? Are we paying attention to our impulses? And maybe here's the second part. Are we paying attention to what we're drawn to? Are they worthless things? Or Are they things of value? All right, briefly. All right, scampered up that rock. Let's go to the next one. Bad leaders, calm followers. There's our next title. Ready? Bad leaders, calm followers. I almost made you say it with me. Can you tell I did Kids in Motion this week? Or I was like, repeat after me. Bad leaders, calm followers. Don't repeat after me. Four uh, Four to seven. Let's pick back up. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. All right, so we're back to rulers. You know, the preacher won't let us go when it comes to our understanding of of rulers and and what it means to live under bad leadership. But essentially what he's doing here is he's, he's showing us what life should look like under a foolish autocratic leader. As much as we don't like our leaders in our culture, we just have no clue what it's really like to live under an autocratic leader. Here's the preacher's admonition to us as he said, Hey, when people are ruling foolishly, don't be quick to, it says, leave your place or abandon your post, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. He's kind of saying, just take a deep breath. When your leader's are a mess, which is quite often across the board, across the millennia, calm down. Don't abandon your post so quickly. Again, go back a few sermons if you want to hear, okay, what do we do with X, Y, and Z, right? We're not going to repeat that, but but I just think in our day and age, it's worth saying, hey, as we experience bad leaders, wherever that may be, Wisdom means, hey, what does it mean to be a calm follower? Still standing for integrity, so on and so forth. But, but are we even asking that question? God, what does it look like for me to be wise here and to be a calm but righteous follower? All right, that rock's done. 12 to 14, ready? Words and their source. And I think this might be the last place we go for time's sake. But here's 12 to 14 says the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. The fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city." So, friends, what this section is really pushing us towards is to consider the wisdom of our words and really the source of where our words come from. Verse 12 gives us the positive picture of our words, that the words of a wise person, in their mouth, wins them favor. Subtext in the Bible or a footnote might say grace. And so a wise person's words, and you know these people, don't you? They just tend to be gracious and kind. Not constantly picking a squabble. And some would interpret this as it becomes their grace. It becomes grace that ends up being shown to them. But then you have verse 13. The beginnings of the words of his mouth is foolishness. Sorry, the second part of 12 is the lips of the fool consume him, but the beginnings of the words of his mouth are foolishness. And so this is pushing us to consider that when we hear the words of the foolishness, It's not just words. It's actually an overflow of what's coming out of their heart. The words of a foolish person come from a foolish heart. It's very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 12. It says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, so often, it's my temptation to say, I'm sorry I said that to you. It was just a bad day. No, no, that bad day just squeezed the tube of toothpaste and what came out of my mouth was what was already going on in my heart. If I'm complaining constantly, then my heart is that of a discontent complainer. If I'm gossipy, you know what that, that is? It's, it's my self-righteousness coming out of my heart. And friends, these words aren't benign. You see how it ends in 13? The end of his talk is evil. Madness. James 3 says it well. Consider the spark that a tongue can begin where it sets this great blaze, bigger than the blazes in California that are fogging up the skyline in New York City. When we just go, I'm just going to post something, whatever I feel, or I'm just going to say to this person, you know, speak my mind. It could be a spark that could eviscerate so many things. Friends, can I just call us and encourage us towards wisdom with our words? To consider that what we say matters. I'm going to skip over a whole mess of stuff and just come to the end as we move towards communion. We just scratch the surface of wisdom here, right? And I would say if you want something to keep working through wisdom in the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and some of 1 Corinthians, I, I would commend to you Tim and Kathy's book, uh, The Wisdom of God. Um, I forget what the subtitle is. But, but anyway, it's basically on the book of Proverbs, but it is just very easy to digest and remarkably challenging and theologically wise. But, but, but let me just say this. Some of you may be saying, okay, so how do I then get wisdom? And, and I'm going to lean on one of Tim's categories here as well, where he says we need to embrace the paradox. We need to embrace the paradox. Proverbs 2 actually held before us a paradox. Proverbs 2 tells us to search for wisdom like a treasure. But then it also says wisdom is a gift. That's a paradox, right? So we gain it by searching for it, but we can't truly have it unless we receive this gift. And friends, this is a paradox that is throughout the rest of Scripture. Philippians 2.12 calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but immediately adds, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purposes. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that frustrating? Right? We can't just get there on our own. We have to actually rely on a gift of God to provide it for us. And here's the good news as we head towards communion. That gift has actually come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me read to you this passage in 1 Corinthians 1. For the word of the cross, what this meal is representing, is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Do you know why it says it's foolishness? He goes on in this passage to later say, hey, he talks about one group of people, the philosophers, who goes, yeah, this is foolishness to them. Why? Because they think, well, we can just sit around and debate all day and come to the conclusion ourselves. And what Jesus' arrival actually says is, no, ultimately you cannot. You must rely on this suffering servant to be your wisdom. And it says it's foolishness to the Jews. Do you know why? Why? Because the Jews thought that the true wisdom was going to manifest itself in this great king and ruler who was powerful. Not one with a crown of thorns that was nailed to a cross. But do you know what God says about receiving that sort of wisdom? It says, Because of him we are in Christ Jesus and he became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption for every boneheaded, foolish, and rebellious move we have ever made. Friends, that's the meal we're coming to this morning. As we come to the table this morning, I want to just encourage you, this meal is for anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and they've professed that faith in this or another gospel and Bible-believing church. But I also realize that there's many of you who are here, maybe from Kids and Cubs in Motion, who go, we're just trying to figure out this whole God thing, right? And I just want to say, I'm really glad you're here. But I would encourage you not to take of this meal because it represents you saying, this is what I actually believe. And if you don't believe that yet, I would encourage you, hey, let us walk alongside of you. To articulate the beauty and the wisdom of the gospel. And to walk with you that you may actually lay hold of that wisdom yourself. Let me invite anyone who has professed faith in Christ to take this moment to also evaluate your heart and say, Lord, where have I been a fool? Where have I been a fool? And to confess that to Him. And then I'll close this in a moment. So take a moment and pray there at your seat. If you haven't grabbed the elements, they're right outside this door on a table, feel free to take this time to do that and I'll close this in just a moment. Well, Lord Jesus, in a way, as we read our word, you, Jesus, tell us that those who build our lives on you are wise, and those who build elsewhere, we build on sand, and it is foolishness. And I'll admit my modern sensibilities were offended as I thought of your word actually daring to call me a fool. (laughs) The Father, your word tells us that by nature, we set it our aim to rebel against you. To call the cross folly. And so, this is really a meal that we approach for the foolish. The Lord, you entered into this foolishness. And, and Lord, your cross looks like foolishness to so many. But God, it is a great gift so that we may become wise that we may look more and more like You as we follow You. And so, Lord, would You set these elements apart to remind us of Your wisdom and our utter dependence upon You for Your glory and for our good. We pray these things in Your name. Amen.